Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. It says in verse 40 of Mark 1, Now a leper came to him, him of course Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he, meaning Jesus, strictly warned him and and, uh, sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way. Show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Um, so many lessons we can learn from this passage uh, today. Um, but I just want to mention a few. First, I'd like to look, take a look at the leper. Secondly, look at our Lord and then conclude with some lessons. Um, first, the leper. Uh, the, the condition of leprosy is a varied one. And there are different kinds of leprosy and there are different kinds of uh, skin diseases which would have, in the Old Testament, fallen under the category of leprosy. Today, it might, some of those diseases might actually be called something other than leprosy proper. Um, but in severe cases, the person with leprosy would, their, their parts of their body, um, sometimes the entire body, but parts of the body, uh, would be covered with sores, ulcerated sores. And in, in severe cases, it causes disfigurement, literally of the face. The face and the throat is often um, a place where this disease uh, tends to attack. Um, it also, in various forms, attacks the extremities. And so one of the, the features of, of leprosy is that in addition to the skin getting white, having a kind of a whitened, scaly look, that often the, there's a, uh, a loss of feeling in the extremities and people begin to lose feeling in their, their hands, their feet, and it's not uncommon that the the, the hands and the feet then will will uh, shrivel up. Sometimes the the actual digits will literally just fall off. And so, when we talk about a, a leper, we're talking about at least in a severe case, a leper would be somebody who would be uh, probably severely disfigured and would be would be difficult to look at. Um, might appear repulsive, if you will. Um, might have a limb missing, might have fingers missing, might have toes missing, might have a foot or a hand missing. Um, and so it's a very uh, uh, serious, at least as it progresses, and it can progress for many years, but it has a, it's a very serious disease. And at the time of Jesus, of course, was uh, completely incurable. So this is the man that comes to Jesus. And you know, what's interesting is I, as I was been reading through Mark, one of the things Mark highlights is kind of the, the how frantic people were when they um, heard about Jesus' miracles. And he talks about people running to Jesus, and he, and he, and he highlights the fact that he was constantly 
surrounded and constantly people were pressing in. They just wanted to, to touch Jesus, those that were sick. They just wanted, a, a, they were desperate to be healed. Um, and so Jesus was constantly surrounded by these crowds. And then when you read this passage, it, it, what struck me is, one thing that struck me is that um, there's no mention of the crowds here. It's like all of a sudden, I mean, all of a sudden there's just a leper came to him and he's talking to this leper as if no one's around. And I thought, you know, what happened? Where is everybody? Here's what I think happened. They saw the leper. And in the Old Testament, one of the regulations was someone who was diagnosed with leprosy, they had to be outside the camp. And that's how with these, these, these leper colonies that we, we have even to this day, uh, began. They were quarantined. They were set aside. They were put outside the camp. And they were required to cover their faces or at least their mouths with a cloth. And if anyone came near them, they had to, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. In other words, they were responsible for warning people that they had leprosy. So people, so lepers were shunned and, and lepers were avoided because people were afraid of contracting the disease and it was uh, a, a, a repulsive looking disease and so people were afraid of lepers. So this leper, when he came to Jesus, he probably shouldn't have done that because he should have been warning people that he was unclean. Now, maybe he did. Maybe as he approached, he, he cried out, unclean, unclean. Maybe he warned them. But maybe they just saw him disfigured, scaled, ulcerated. And when they saw him, their natural reaction would have been to, to pull back. And so, while in many of the, account, the accounts of Jesus healing, all of these people are pressing in and crowding Jesus, in this account, it's as if no one is there. Well, they're there, but they made room for the leper out of fear, I believe. And so he approaches Jesus, and he begins to implore him. And this is the first thing we, we need to note about the leper. He comes and he is in earnest about getting healed. It says that, uh, now verse 40, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down and saying, If you will, you can make me clean. So this, the leper, in distinction from others, he was in earnest because the situation was dire. His situation was dire. There was no cure. But in addition to that, he knew his situation was dire. You know, one of the most difficult things about getting people to understand the gospel is they don't understand the bad news that precedes the good news. They don't understand that they're spiritually sick, that they have spiritual leprosy and they need to be healed. But when a man understands that he needs to be healed, then he begins to look for a healer. When, when people understand that they're sick, they begin to look for a physician. And the although his disease was terrible, the good news for him was that he, he knew he was sick. He knew he needed a physician. And so he came to Jesus because he had heard all of these wonderful reports uh, about all of these healings that were occurring. So he came to Jesus, and he came to Jesus in earnest. He wasn't playing around. He was serious. But he also came reverently 
to Jesus. It says that he implored him, but then he also knelt down. Luke says that he worshipped him. Now, commentators are divided, and they're not sure if this was worship proper or if this was just respect. Um, Either way, he showed a reverence and acknowledgement that Jesus was special. Did he understand he was the Son of God? Probably not. Did he believe he was the Messiah? Maybe. We don't know. But based upon what he had already heard, he knew that Jesus was able uh, to uh, heal him, and he knew that Jesus was special. And so he bows down to him. And this shows the other thing I want to point out about him is that he was humble. He was acknowledging his need, and he was willing to seek help when he was in need. But then the leper also demonstrated faith. He says to Jesus in verse 40, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now commentators, because they have nothing better to do, argue about things. Like if the if here, so like that if the if, sounds like a former president. Is the if an expression of doubt, or is the if an expression of faith? So he comes to Jesus and says, if you are willing, does that imply Jesus, he's assuming Jesus is not willing? Hence, it would be a form of unbelief. Or is he acknowledging Jesus' power and ability, but simply doesn't know because he doesn't have a word? How would he know? How would this man know if Jesus was willing to heal him based upon what he had heard? All he probably heard was all of these random reports that there was a prophet in Israel. Maybe he heard reports that the Messiah has come and he's healing and delivering. And so this guy's like, I need healing. I'm going to, I'm going to Jesus. But he doesn't know on what principle Jesus is operating. He doesn't know if Jesus intends to heal all or to heal a few. He doesn't know. All he knows is that Jesus is able to heal him. So I, I do not believe he's expressing doubt. I believe the fact that he came to Jesus expresses his faith. The, the, the fact that he was in earnest, the fact that he humbled himself before Jesus, the, the fact that he even requested help, with all of these things are expressions of his faith. And he acknowledges Jesus' ability to heal him. Um... I believe he had a, based upon all the reports he had heard, he had a pretty rock-solid faith that Jesus was able to heal him when he came to him. Now, one of the striking things about this this leper is what he does after he's healed. <clears throat> Jesus says to him, he heals him, and he says, uh, verse 40, verse 43, and he, Jesus, strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, <laughs> what did he do? He did just the opposite of what Jesus told him to do. Now, my sympathies are kind of with the leper. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's very hard for us to imagine how happy this guy must have been. 
But to have suffered from a chronic disease, perhaps for years, I mean, to literally perhaps have part of your body having fallen off, not only that, being socially shunned, maybe never having embraced his, his wife for years or been able to hug his children because he was now quarantined. You can only imagine the joy this guy must have had, right? I mean, how in the world could Jesus tell him not to tell anybody? So all of my my sympathies are like, well, what do you expect? Of course he's going to tell people. Nonetheless, he disobeyed Jesus. He did. There's no other way around it. He did the wrong thing. And it's interesting that in verse 43, where it says, my version says, he strictly warned him. This word here is a word which, which... can be translated different ways depending on the context, but it's a word of very intense emotion. And it can mean anger, it can mean grief, it can mean a mixture of both. In other words, when Jesus said to this guy, don't tell anybody, he said, listen. He probably looked him right in the eye. Listen, I just healed you. It's very important to me that you do not go and tell anybody. Strict, intense, in the face. There was no way he could have misunderstood the command, and yet he went out and he disobeyed. How's that for gratitude? Is there a lesson there for us? We'll come back to that. Now let's look a little bit at our Lord here. What is our Lord's response to this man? His response is one of compassion. Um, When you read the accounts in Matthew Mark and Luke of this healing, and it's in every, it's in the synoptics. Each of them mentions the fact that Jesus touched the man, but only Mark mentions that Jesus had compassion on the man. Because it was, it, it's the compassion that motivated the touch, that moved him to the touch. So Jesus' response, because of his compassion, was, I will. And he healed him. And what I want us to, to, to meditate on here this morning is the compassion of Jesus for this man. Because I want us to understand what true compassion really looks like and is demonstrated here in this account. The first thing I want to say about Jesus' compassion, which is really true pity, is that it sees... Are you listening? It sees the suffering, not the disease. It sees the suffering, not the disease. Suffering manifests itself in many different ways. Jesus certainly saw the man's disease, but what he really saw was the fact that the man was suffering because of his disease. And that's what prompted this this emotion of compassion. Now, there are different words in the, the Bible for compassion in the Greek language. And some of them are translated differently. Uh, We have the word pity. We have the word mercy. We have the word compassion. And they're similar. Uh, they They may have slight shades of difference. But the thing I want to point out about this word here, which is used in the Gospels for Jesus, it's that's it's the word that highlights what the person is feeling. In some texts where the word mercy is used, it highlights the fact that there's a, some kind of demonstration involved. But here the word is, it highlights the fact 
that Jesus was moved, which is a good way to translate it. He was moved with compassion. It, 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 could, it could be translated literally, his bowels were shaking. I know that sounds weird. I get it. But the point is, is that the feeling was visceral. It was deep. It was, it was troubling. It was moving him. So Jesus wasn't just a, a casual observer. He wasn't just going through the motions of, uh, okay, well, here's my messianic job for the day. I'm going to heal this guy. He responded, responded in very human and intense sympathy for this man and his suffering. So compassion is a deep feeling of concern. It sees the suffering, not the disease, but it also sees the need and not the dessert. I don't mean dessert. Don't think about food, Allison. I mean dessert and what people deserve. Now, as we study this gospel, you, you will see more and more that Jesus' antagonists, the Pharisees, were heartless people. I mean, we'll soon look at the account where there's a man in the synagogue who has a withered arm, and um, Jesus was going to heal... We'll, we'll study it later. The point is, in the text, what it says is it talks about the, the Pharisees' hardness of heart. Um, and they seem to have no interest in the suffering of the people around them. And here's Jesus going around healing all of these people. And they don't rejoice that the lepers are cleansed. They don't rejoice the sick are healed. They don't rejoice the lame can now walk. They're looking for something to attack Jesus with. It says that they're impervious to the suffering that's around them. And one of the reasons is because in pharisaical teaching, there was a doctrine that we might today call something like karma, where bad things happen to bad people. And so when someone is suffering, well, guess what? It's probably their fault. And we see this even with with the disciples. Remember when uh, when, when the... uh, Jesus, they said to the Lord, was this man, who sinned? This man or his parents, talking about the blind man? Who sinned? Those are the only two options in their thinking. Well, if it wasn't his sin, it must have been his parents' sin. Or otherwise he wouldn't be suffering. This was, this was the, the problem with Job's comforters, remember? They came to him, clearly, Job, you're suffering, so that clearly you're a sinner. That's the problem. So, when that's your theology, guess what? People that are suffering are just getting what they deserve. So I, how can I be called to intervene? God's not going to intervene. God's giving them what they deserve. And though we might never say this out loud, I think sometimes we feel it. I think sometimes we think it. And although I actually have heard some Christians say things out loud, which are pretty close to this. Um... The thing we have to understand about people's suffering is that because we're fallen, a lot of our suffering is self-induced. I mean, that's the truth. You know, I know we like to blame other people. You know, you want to blame your spouse because it's your spouse's fault, or you want to blame your parents because they mistreated you. You want to blame your boss. You want to, you know, we, all, we like to, we all do that. But the reality is, we all do things that end up 
coming back on us. And so if we take the position, uh, well, I'll show people compassion when they don't deserve the suffering they're, they're uh, experiencing, then um, it's a convenient way not to, not to be troubled about other people's need. But in addition to that, it's bad theology. Okay? If God was like that, none of us would be saved. Do you understand that? I mean, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And no, no one's going to stand before God and say, Well, God, uh, uh, yeah, I sinned, but I couldn't help it. That's not what the, the Scripture says. The Scripture says we are responsible and accountable to God for our sins. When I sin, I choose to sin. It's true. And if you don't believe that about yourself, then you're not accepting the responsibility for who you are. Now, that might sound like bad news to you, but the reality is it's good news because if I can, if I can choose to sin... As a Christian, I can choose not to sin. I'm not a victim. You're not a victim. Quit blaming your heredity and your family and your environment. Quit blaming everything and take responsibility for your life and your character before God. We are responsible. Nevertheless, God looks past our desert and looks at our need. He looks past our disease and he looks at our suffering. That's what mercy does. That's what compassion is. Look at, um, look at Ephesians 2 for a moment. Coming back to Mark. But I want you to, I want to remind you of this. Ephesians 2. In verse 1 it says, And you... Hey, you means you. You, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So you were dead, you were in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. It's not a very good description of what we were, right? We were dead, trespasses, following the, the, the influence of the evil one. We were disobedient. Verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Look at that. This is, this is bad. You don't want to be the object of God's wrath. Any amens? And then look at God's response. But God, who is rich in Mercy. What we deserved was the wrath. What we received was the mercy. Not, oh well, you didn't, they, they didn't really mean to be so wicked. They didn't mean to sin. They didn't mean to rebel. The heck we didn't. We were living out exactly who we were. We were living out the desires of our flesh and the desires of our mind. And we were living in in disobedience. We were living in rebellion. And if we had died in that, we would have deserved to be separated from God forever. We would have deserved His wrath. But God didn't look at my desert. God looked at my need. 
Praise God. That's what mercy does. That's what mercy is. It looks past the defilement, past the disfigurement, past that which repulses others, and it sees the need underneath and it responds to the need. It is moved by suffering. No one deserves mercy because desert is not part of the vocabulary of compassion. When once you put that word in the vocabulary, you begin to pick and choose who deserve your mercy. The other thing I want to point out about Jesus, go back to Mark, and his compassion here. You notice that Jesus not only sees the suffering and the need, and hence he, he feels, he's moved by it, but he also acts. And he draws near and he touches the man. Verse 41, that Jesus, Mark 1, 41, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed or be thou clean. Jesus didn't have to touch him. When we read the gospel accounts, Jesus healed people simply by his word. Jesus healed some people just by thinking. Go home, she'll be well. He didn't have to touch. And yet... When we read the Gospels, it's striking how often he did touch people. Especially in Mark. Mark highlights Jesus' touch. When Peter's mother-in-law was sick, it says that Jesus reached out and he took her hand. He touched her. He touched her sickness. And think about this, this leper with the rotting flesh. Jesus would, would, should have been, if you will, repulsed by it. By the ulcers. By the smell, by the, by the appearance. And Jesus could have just spoken the word, but no, he didn't just speak the word. He touched the man. Because that's what compassion does. Compassion draws near. When Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, you know the story? The priest walks by, the Levite walks by, the Samaritan, who's the hero of the story, doesn't walk by. It says that he comes over. Then he takes the man. He touches the man. That's what compassion does. Compassion doesn't uh, remove. Compassion doesn't erect barriers. True compassion draws near and true compassion enters in and true compassion touches. And therefore, true compassion overcomes disgust. You know, I shared with you a while back you know, every every January we highlight pro life stuff, and um, it's 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 a hard thing to do. I mean, it's a hard thing to read about what's really going on in abortion clinics. It's 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 a it's a grisly business. It's 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 hard. It's hard to think about it. It's hard to think about all the suffering, all the 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 women that are suffering. It's hard to think about the children that are killed. Um, it's hard to think about the fact that uh, not that long ago there were maybe two primary STDs, now there's over 20. The percentage of people in our country being affected is rising astronomically. I mean, the whole thing is just ugly, dirty. And so the, the, the natural thing to do is to be pulled back from that. 
the natural thing to do is not. Oh, I'm not gonna. I don't want to think about that. That that this hurts. It it's gross. It's gross. But see, compassion moves in. It moves toward the suffering and is not repulsed by that which is disgusting. In other words, compassion overcomes that feeling. It's not that the feeling isn't there, but it overcomes it because it's stronger. And that's why I believe in this text, this this word for compassion is used because it's the strongest possible word that can be used to show how intense Jesus' feelings were. And so when you really care, this overcomes what might be a very natural repugnance to something that is ugly, morally ugly, spiritually ugly, physically ugly, something that's dirty, something that stinks. But compassion overcomes that disgust, and it also overcomes fear. The fear of pollution. You know, lepers were not supposed to be touched because to touch a leper was to be defiled. Not only was, if you touch a leper, were you possibly going to get the disease, but you would then become ceremonially unclean. And so people were afraid on both fronts. They were afraid of contracting illness, but they were also afraid of contracting uncleanness. And it's interesting here, when the leper comes to Jesus, he doesn't say, he doesn't ask to be healed. What does he ask for? To be cleansed. Now, the one included the other. But that's important that he asked that because he was not just sick. He was unclean according to the ceremonial law. And so compassion overcomes this natural uh, repugnance and also perhaps a natural fear that we might have of entering into places that are dirty, places that are dark, places that are defiled. But as I've said many times, who needs the light? but those that are in the dark. Amen? The church is needed most where she is least inclined to go. Let me conclude by saying this. I had so many great lessons here, but I just want to sum, sum this up. The lesson, One of the lessons from the leper is simply this. Seek Jesus' touch. And be in earnest about it, whatever your situation is. You might need a physical healing. You might need uh, emotional healing. You might need wisdom. You might need uh, relationships re- uh, healed. You might need financial help. I don't, so many different needs. Seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. Seek Him earnestly. Seek Him reverently. And seek Him in faith because Jesus is able to touch you in your situation. Can I get more amens? And I mean your situation. The thing about faith is this. If it's not personal, it's not faith. It doesn't matter if you believe that God can touch me. What matters is, do you believe that God can touch you? Because until you believe that, it's not faith. 
I but actually, in my, as, I, as I've analyzed my own conversion experience, I actually came to a point where I believed before I was saved. In other words, I came to the place, for me, it was a progression. I had to get to a place where I intellectually believed. But I hadn't surrendered my will yet. I wasn't committed yet. I wasn't surrendered yet. Use whatever word you want to use. But it's that aspect of faith which is volitional, not just intellectual. And there are people who can quote John 3.16, that God solved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And they can quote that verse, but they're going to hell. I remember preaching the gospel one night to a bunch of young people. And I quoted that verse, and I quoted it like this, for God so loved blank. Leave it blank. Now, can you put your name in it? Can you put your name in it? For God so loved you. Put your name in that verse. That he gave his only begotten son for you. That if you will believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. And I gave an invitation. A number of young people responded. And after the meeting, this young man came up. He said, I've I've been raised in a Baptist church. I've heard that verse probably every Sunday. Come as you are, you know. Every week. And I believed it. But I realized tonight, I didn't believe it was for me. And he got born again that night. He got saved that night. Even though before that, he would have said he believed. To believe Jesus died for the world is history. To believe Jesus died for you, that is salvation. And that, and I'm talking not only about the, the faith that brings you to Christ, I'm talking about the faith with which you walk with Christ. The faith which comes to Jesus for healing, for wisdom, for guidance, for strength, for whatever you need in your life. Seek Jesus Christ. And I say that not just to the unbeliever, but to the believer. Be in earnest in your pursuit of Jesus Christ. He cares for you and he is able to do whatever you need. He is able. Do you believe that? He is able. Last lesson. Summary, really. Is we need to not only seek the touch of Jesus, we need to imitate the touch of Jesus. That means we we need to learn to see what he sees. Because once you begin to see what Jesus sees, you will begin to feel what he feels. And we need to stop looking at things through natural eyes and begin to look through, through things through the eyes of Scripture and through the eyes of faith, through the eyes of the Holy Spirit showing us What's really going on? Remember when the 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 uh, sinner, the sinful woman, came to dinner with Jesus, and Jesus said to the the Pharisees, uh, "What do you see? <laughs> what do you see when you look at this woman?" Well, you know what they saw? They saw a prostitute. They saw sexual sin. They saw defilement. Jesus saw a woman that was suffering. How can, how can the same object appear so differently? Because we see with our hearts. That's why Jesus warned us, if the, dark, if the light that is in you is dark, how great is that darkness? Not if the darkness is dark. If what you're seeing is, and you're calling it light, and it's really darkness, wow, that's really dark. 
And it's all in the context of our heart and treasure. It's, it's about the heart. We need to seek Jesus to touch us, not only to meet our needs, but we need to seek Jesus to touch us that we might meet the needs of others and make us a people that care. Just care. We don't need a big program to care, do we? We just need to care about people. And if you really care about people, and if you say, Lord, show me what you see, in this situation. Help me see this person the way you see them. It will revolutionize your life. And as he begins, as you begin to see people and you begin to see them in their humanity and in their, the fact that they're in God's image and as you begin to see your brothers and sisters as literally part of Christ's body, it will transform how you treat them and you will then draw near. You'll care for them. And then you being touched by Jesus, then you will want to touch others. That's what happens. That's why my sympathies were with the leper. Because once he got touched, man, he just had to go touch people, didn't he? He had to go tell people. Let's stand and pray. Lord, I thank you that you are who you are. And Lord, as we read this account of your interaction with the leper, you're, you're the same today. You have the same compassion. You have the same willingness to touch and to heal. And we thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that we, whatever our need would truly seek you in our need. Because ultimately, you're the only solution. And I pray, Lord, that as your people, that as you touch us, we would be a people that reach out to touch other people with your love and compassion. I pray that next Saturday, we would show your compassion to people as we, as we share the gospel through this, this DVD distribution a simple act of concern for others. That we might be involved in the the mobile marathon, a simple act of concern for the unborn. Give us your heart, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.